Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Agency Freedom Podcast. We take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination. I am your host, James Jenkins. Thanks for coming along uh, for another episode where uh, we break open conversations, deliver value, uh, invite you into uh, headspace that maybe you're not familiar with. I'm excited for this episode because we step outside of the insurance world and head into a a conversation topic that is basically a first cousin of insurance in the warranty space. And a really interesting company that I think is uh, going to be uh, not someone, but something that you definitely want to be aware of as an additional uh, product, an additional solution for you to uh, be potentially leveraging in your office. The company is Armadillo. And they are really messing up the home warranty space. Uh, Anybody who's ever done home warranty uh, knows how painful it is. Uh, Most of the players are entrenched and they are legacy minded and they're just not doing anything uh, innovative or useful for the customer. Uh, My guest, Matan Slachter, uh, is the co-founder of Armadillo. And he and I get into a really granular at times Uh, but interesting conversation about uh, his story and why uh, they founded Armadillo and what they're doing to change the game and innovate and push things forward in the home warranty space. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. A couple of quick requests before we jump in. As always, please subscribe if you find value in what we are doing. And also, uh, join our Facebook group. Uh, You can connect with other Freedom Jumpers and help us build community and add value to each other uh, as we continually work to grow and improve ourselves in 2022 and beyond. So, time to launch into episode 37 with Matan Slachter of Armadillo. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now, I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with Riskwell. 17 months, man. It's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties. They're eager to share their stories and best practices with you. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey folks, James here with another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. In uh, this episode is a bit of a curveball because we are not talking about insurance at all. It is a related subject. Uh, it is something that definitely has overlap with the insurance world. But I am joined today by none other than Matan Slachter. Did I say your name right? You said it perfectly. 
Okay, I'm so proud of myself. Names are important. I, I'm scared to death of butchering someone's name one of these days. Uh, but anyways, Matan, thank you for joining us. Uh, and folks, Matan is the uh, founder or co-founder, I'm not sure which one, uh, of Armadillo. And Armadillo is a name a lot of you probably haven't heard yet, uh, but they operate in the home warranty space. Uh, they're not technically an insure tech, but they sure look and sound like one. Uh, so this is going to be a really interesting conversation. If you're like me, and we'll get into this in a little bit, you probably uh, have a bad taste in your mouth if you've ever been involved in selling or servicing a home warranty uh, product. So Matan, thank you for joining us uh, on the Agency Freedom Podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Well, this this is uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I love curveball episodes where we get to go and new directions that the podcast hasn't really covered yet. And home warranty is definitely one of those things. Matan, I would love to hear your background for our listeners' sake. Uh, you and I had the privilege of having a, a rather productive and interesting phone call just a few days ago. Uh, and it was like, man, I got to get this guy on the podcast. He, he is doing something very interesting. Um, who are you? What's your background? How did you get to this point in your career? Lay it on us, man. Yeah, you know, I was... Um I guess it all starts with one of your parents. Uh, my, one of my parents, my father, uh, was an insurance agent mm -hmm. um, at one point in his career. And uh, when I was already in high school, he said, hey, you know, there's this job, uh, this profession, actuarial science. And uh, he told me about it. And uh, me being who I was back then, um, was good at math and uh, statistics and all of that. And uh, I just went for it. I uh, started taking my actuarial exams and sort of born and raised in the insurance industry. My um, mm. college I chose had an actuarial program. That was one of my uh, criteria when looking for, for a good uh, university. And then uh, my first job out of college was for um, a reinsurance company as a, as a pricing actuary in the life insurance space. Mm. Um, uh, so my career uh, up until um, Armadillo was in the insurance industry. I've worked uh, both on the life side as well as the PNC side. Uh, with a major focus on consumer-facing lines of business, auto, homeowners, travel, um, extended warranty, accident health, hmm. and um, uh, and I've done a lot of different things. I uh, I I can't say that it was all actuarial. Actually, I, I did more. Most of my career was non-actuarial related: strategy, innovation, uh, underwriting, portfolio management, uh, a little a little bit of claims. Um, uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's me. And uh, to your question before, I am a co-founder. I do have a, um, a partner in this business, Lenston Robbins, who is uh, um, the co-founder and chairman uh, of the business. So I love hearing this background because you're a numbers geek like me, it sounds like. And the, the retail side of the PNC insurance world, uh, I think by and large, so many of our peers come at this from a completely different direction. They come at it from the sales and marketing, uh, if they're lucky, maybe, you know, agency operations uh, background. But so many people that operate for years and years and years in the insurance world never really understand the, the other side of the business, you know, the, the underwriting and actuarial side of PNC insurance, which as anyone who understands those sides of the business knows, that really is where the sausage gets made, uh, to use the metaphor. 
I'll definitely um, put this down in my little note here to circle back to that question because I'm sure there's some very interesting sauce uh, in that part of your story. So uh, you, you have an eclectic background. You've done some life, done some PNC stuff, done a lot of actuarial work. Um, how do you get around to Armadillo in home warranty and starting what you described uh, last week as being a one part technology company, one part uh, you know, blue collar service company. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where do I start? You know, by the way, just on that point before I was fascinated by the entire world of brokerage, MGAs, program administrators, because I started my career on the carrier side. Mm-hmm. Your point, a lot of people don't really dive into the underwriting and actuarial piece of it. That's where I was born. And all of a sudden, you know, five years into my career at AIG, sort of my world opens up because I took on a role as head of market disruption, which essentially was a head of innovation for all of our personal uh, lines book of business at AIG, which was a pretty big hmm. um, unit. I love that title, man. Head uh, of market disruption. So you can literally tell people you're a professional disruptor. I, I, that was my job. It was, it was to disrupt or to defend <laughs> when others were disrupting. But, yeah, um, uh, you know, it's funny. Everybody was, back then, everybody was uh, head of innovation, chief innovation officer, innovation, everything. And uh, uh, my boss at the time, which was, was the CEO of uh, Edgy's personal insurance book of business, I, he said, you know, to his credit, he said, just call it something different. Um, and we came up with the market disruption title. Hmm. But essentially, we um, we invested in a few companies. AIG doesn't have, to my knowledge, still doesn't have um, a venture capital, a corporate venture capital fund. Um, so it was one-off investments here and there. Uh, we underwrote some really interesting insure tech type programs. And, um, and I worked with business units across the globe, in the U.S. mostly because I'm here, but across the globe on some pretty interesting programs. Some successful, some not so, so successful. But that was my foray into seeing what's happening in the startup world. I think we're all so lucky to be here at this time. I think it's one of the most exciting times in insurance. And I met some innovators, some people who were super exciting early in their career. Some of those individuals now went public with their companies. Um, They were talking to AIG about getting paper uh, for products that they were launching without mentioning any names. I'm sure most of the listeners here know those companies today. And, um, And I knew back then that I really wanted to try that out. I've always been, um, you know, I've always wanted to, to do a lot of things. I wanted to manage a business and, and just have a, have sort of an end to end responsibility for something all the way from not just actuarial, but marketing and operations and claims. And, um, so I know if I start my own business one day, that that would give me the ability to create that environment and that experience for myself. So I was actually introduced to my co-founder who himself is a serial entrepreneur, uh, built a number of businesses and sold all of them successfully, one to AIG. And one of those businesses, the one that he sold to AIG was, um, became AIG's warranty business. So if, uh, if you have Apple Care or if you went to Best Buy ever and bought something and got a warranty on it, that was probably through his, ultimately his business that he sold to AIG. Hmm. Um, so he was very well connected in the warranty space. Um, and, uh, and we looked at this vertical and it was clear that there was a lot to fix and that we could do things better. We at least believed that we could do things better and that we could line up carrier partners and all the pieces and launch a product pretty quickly in a cost-effective manner. Um, so that's how we got to Armadillo. It was really, um, it was a combination of my experience in the innovation space and working with a lot of insure techs and then meeting the right person 
who I was mm. fortunate to be introduced to, and we uh, we hit it off, and with uh, we just we just checked all the boxes, you know. That's fantastic. Uh, did did we talk about where the name came from? I know someone is going to be wondering to themselves, what's up with Armadillo? Uh, <laughs> what's the inspiration for that name? That's a little bit different. You know, I um, I told this to a few people. I don't think I've told the story live yet. I, I don't think so. Um, well, you've got several hundred people listening uh, in the first 30 days uh, and uh, a few thousand before it's all said and done with this run. So uh, let her rip, man. Okay. I, all right. So you're the first to hear this publicly. Um, I've had the name Armadillo for a while. Um, I'd say four years now. That's because um, I've known for a while that I, when I was at AIG that I wanted to start my own business. It was just a matter of time. And there was one business idea before Armadillo, the, before the home warranty concept came to be, um, that um, that I was thinking about deeply back then. It was to create a specialty insurance carrier focused on insuring cannabis businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, still today, exploding that space, but there are a lot of producers, cannabis producers, dispensaries, um, uh, transportation um, professionals, and um it was were very interesting risks and um i thought that we could create a specialty carrier that just just does that is really good at that and armadillo the name was after brainstorming many many different names for that concept now it stuck it's it stayed uh with Mm. us when i connected with uh lanston we looked at the name we said it's perfect you know this has a hard, hard shell and it's it's a cute little animal and uh, starts with an A and it's just uh, memorable. Uh, Texas is a big, very big uh, market for us and armadillos are all over yep. Texas. So, um, uh, it, was, uh, we, it stayed with us. Uh, now, the brand didn't exist. This look and feel, uh, listeners can't see me right now, but James, you can see me. Yep. Uh, I'm pointing to my hat, which has our logo on it. Didn't exist back then, so we just had the name, but not the look and feel. That was born afterwards. So, what's your web address? Because I'm definitely going to put that in the description uh, for the the show notes for this episode. Uh, the web address? You mean yeah. from your website? www.armadillo.one. Like the number one spelled out. O n e. Uh huh. Okay, armadillo dot one o n e. I, I gotta say, man, I, as you can imagine, doing what I do, I see a lot of websites. Most of them are immediately forgettable. There's nothing special about them. Um, and we we commented on our last call. Um, I, I showed armadillo to the uh, the ladies in my office, who all of them are in their twenties. They're a lot cooler than I am. Much more interesting, and you know, aware of trends and what's you know neat and what's not the word neat is actually not neat so i should probably not say the word neat if i'm trying (laughs) to sound cool but uh addy and brecklin they simply said "Ooh, that is a pretty website their branding is on point i gotta say the first thing i think when i come to your website is i really like the look and feel the agency, the whoever the consultant was that you guys did, absolutely nailed the look and feel for your brand. It is immediately easy to understand and navigate the graphics, the font, the colors. They're all very pleasant. Uh, I'm going to shout them out because we were fortunate to find this agency. Um, they're a small boutique agency out of Philadelphia, out of Philly. 
uh, Grifflin. And we had it's two co-founders and a small team under them. And one of the co-founders, actually both of them worked on it, but one of them in particular, just from scratch, we met every day for a long period of time and we built it out and, and all custom illustrations and all that. Anybody listening in, they are absolutely incredible and should reach out to Grifflin and I can, James, I can give you that. Yeah, yeah. Please give me their basic yeah. contact information and hopefully we get them flooded with interest because uh, yeah. I, I got to say of all of the the people that I've spoken with on this podcast uh, and the websites that I have seen in the last several months, yours is right up there at the top with the best uh, corporate websites I think I've seen this whole year at least, if not longer than that. So bravo. Um, and anyways, done chasing that little rabbit. I just want to put it out there, have fantastic job on the branding. Uh, so basically repurposing the Armadillo brand uh, from cannabis, which Gosh, that's a subject for a different day. I mean, what an interesting conversation. Very interesting vertical in general. I can totally appreciate why you thought that you know opening a, a specialty carrier in that industry would have been very successful. I also understand why you chose not to, because there is a whole lot of hurdles uh, to clear in the cannabis ecosystem, the supply chain, certainly the regulatory environment, with you know cannabis still being at the federal level, a Schedule One. Uh, drug that's you know highly restricted at the federal level. Good luck trying to operate a multi-state carrier operation with a patchwork of you can, you cannot, recreational, medical, whatever. Uh, yeah, I think you're probably uh, glad that you're not involved in that nonsense. Yeah, at 100%. You know, it, it was fascinating. Um, I dived into the commercial side of uh, PNC, looked at the coverages, learned a ton, just, 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 just learned a ton just thinking about that concept and hmm. um, very happy I didn't go through with it because um, Armadillo, as it is right now, as the concept was born and my partner Lenston and some of the team that's come together, I think, is best in breed and if we have any chance of succeeding, this is it. This is the concept that's going to do it. So. Yeah, very happy we didn't move forward with that. With uh, <laughs> I bet. No, I, I can tell what your thoughts are on the subject just because you use the word cannabis and not marijuana or weed <laughs> or something else. You can, the words that people choose always tells me what their perspective is on things. I generally find that anyone who refers to it as cannabis instead of you know some other slang word generally finds it to be uh, an acceptable and, and you know beneficial thing if handled responsibly. You give me the choice between cannabis and a, an opioid or some sort of controlled pharmaceutical. Um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a conversation worth having. I think the, the obvious conflict of interest with the big pharma lobby running the show in Washington is... I mean, it's immense, the conflict of interest there of keeping cannabis as a Schedule One uh, drug with the FDA. Because, uh, man, I, again, it's a whole different subject, but um, I'm not interested in dipping my toe into that water. But I think you can read between the lines and, you know, James is okay with the, uh, the, the medical use and, and whatnot. Certainly, <laughs> we don't need people abusing, you know, and being, quote unquote, potheads. I don't think that it's linked with, you know, high achievement people that are, you know, smoking three or four times a day generally don't have the kind of creative or productive output uh, as you and I would uh, hope to achieve for ourselves. Uh, nevertheless, uh, yeah, very interesting, um, 
complex subject as well. I don't know how we got into 10 minutes of cannabis, but you know, here we are. Congratulations. That happens. And, you know, so when, when you decided to pivot and go into, instead of cannabis, instead of whatever else a man of your talents and drive is able uh, to accomplish, what is it about the home warranty world that made you think, that's it. That's where we're going to plant our flag. That's what I'm going to do professionally. You know, it checked a lot of boxes for us. Um, uh, from a market opportunity, only 3 to 4% of households have home warranty today. So the growth potential through the right distribution methods was unlimited. The other uh, aspect of it is that the product itself is an expensive product. It's a big product. It, it, it's not cheap, so you don't have to sell that many units to, to generate a nice, meaningful book of business. That's great. We're not selling a $5 product. We're selling a $500 product. Um, and then um, thirdly, we looked at uh, competitors in the space. We looked at home warranty. We, and we spent a lot of time evaluating, a lot of time evaluating uh, large players, small players, new players, uh, old players. We looked at their... Um, social media channels. We looked at what consumers are saying. We downloaded their plans, their service contracts, the language. We read all of that. And we came to the conclusion that it's a, it's a broken experience. It's a broken product that it's going to be very hard for a player who is currently operating in the industry to get out of their own way. And that there is definitely room for a new brand to come in. And you, as you see on our website, we do look and feel different than existing home warranty companies. Um, for a new brand to come in to build a better uh, value proposition that's centered around the needs of a homeowner and um, that represents a brand that's, that's, you know, that's really there for the consumer in a, in a, in a vertical that, that's known for the exact opposite of that. So we are... Um, we saw a clear opportunity. And then, the, and then there was a fourth element, which I sort of alluded to earlier, that both Lenson and I were very, very well connected in the warranty space. Mm -hmm. We actually knew one of the carrier partners that, that's underwriting the program for us. We knew them very well. The president there uh, was a partner of Lenson in one of their prior ventures that they sold to AIG. Um, I knew that same individual because he used to work at AIG and I knew his whole team and, and it was, it's a very, it's a very good relationship that we have. So we were able to get paper pretty quickly. Hmm. Uh, we were able to line up uh, our claims administration capabilities pretty quickly. Um, we didn't have to, we weren't building a, we were building something new, but we weren't doing it as full outsiders. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, I am an outsider to home warranty. I'm from the yeah. insurance industry. I'm not from that space. So, so we have that outside in view, but we, we come in and we have, we're not flat footed completely, so to speak. Well, home warranty to me is, is fascinating to look at coming from the perspective of the PNC insurance world, because warranty and insurance really are first cousins. Uh, they're definitely related. You know, you have cause of loss, you have a claim, you have a service agreement, you have some sort of deductible or, you know, trip charge of some kind. And then you have an indemnification where your company agrees to make the customer whole uh, from, you know, whatever happened prior to the loss. Obviously, there's some very significant fundamental differences between a warranty product and an insurance product. Uh, but nevertheless, I mean, the, the overlap, the correlation between the two 
makes it a, a very uh, interesting thing to, to hear about from you with your background in both you know the life and the PNC side of insurance. Um, what, what have you found a, as being the the biggest differentiator just at a fundamental level? Like explain it to me in the simplest possible terms because a lot of our listeners probably really aren't that familiar with home warranty stuff at all. Um, what is it about Armadillo functionally that is just a complete game changer from the same old, same old? I'll start with what's different, why home warranties or warranty is different from insurance and how they're related. And I'll Sure, a bit, that's a, a great, great place to start. Yes. Um, so warranty and home warranty, there, there are actuaries involved and they calculate the frequency and severity of events, very similar to PNC risk. And so to your point, very much a cousin. And there is always, there's been a longstanding argument. Why is, why is warranty? Why is a service contract like warranty, not insurance? And the reality is we are regulated by the Department of Insurance in certain states. It's different. We're probably, we, it's a little bit easier in most states, if not actually in all states than insurance. Um, but from a mechanic perspective, mathematical perspective, very similar. The big difference, and I think a lot of the listeners will appreciate this, is that we are a very, very high frequency product and a very, very low severity product relative to homeowners insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so homeowners, what, on average, one claim every six to eight years or something along those lines. Yep. Um, we're on and that, if, you, if you filter out the wind hail, it's more like every 12 years. Every 12 years. Yeah. So home warranty, you're going to have on average, you can have 1.6 claims a year per consumer, 1.6 claims a year. So, so that's a very high touch product. We know yeah. that a consumer will most likely claim on something with us because things break in the house, appliances, break, systems, HVAC, whatever it is, there's always something in the home. The severity is very limited. It's much lower. These are not big losses. Uh, it might it might go high, you know, for a full HVAC system replacement, it could go pretty high, but but it's limited. It's not it's not unlimited to a certain extent. And generally speaking, that's kind of the worst case scenario, right? Like a full replacement HVAC. I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head what else would fall under the warranty side of things, and not the homeowner's insurance. Is is HVAC kind of your your worst case scenario, or is there something worse? HVAC is pretty bad, you know. Um, uh, Septic system. You guys get into pools and like pool equipment and we, we do cover you know, in ground plumbing and like aeration or septic systems and whatnot. Yeah, we have a we have a pool and spa add on that people can add on. Same with septic system. Uh, those could be, get pretty expensive. Uh, HVAC HVAC is up there. Those are those are exactly the sorts of losses that you know. Okay, I d- this literally just came to me. So you're not prepared at all for this question. I'm sorry, but uh, in Texas we had. Uh, what we're calling ice apocalypse back in February of 2021. It was a historically bad winter storm. Uh, Texas, unlike a lot of places in the country, were just not built for really cold weather. Uh, we don't have a lot of things that people like. You're in New York. New York is perfectly comfortable with extremely cold weather. It doesn't phase you guys at all. Your infrastructure, your utilities, all of your stuff is set up just fine. Yes. Texas is not. We can take the heat. All day long, you know, weeks, months at a time, super hot temperatures doesn't phase us at all. It gets, you know, below 40 and everyone loses their dang minds. Uh, So all that to say, we had the world's worst winter storm. It literally didn't get above like 25 degrees for a week back in February. 
I've never in my life seen so many pool equipment claims where it's freezing outside. It's so cold that the heating elements that's supposed to keep the pool from freezing to keep the pump equipment from you know, fracturing because when stuff gets inside and freezes, it expands and breaks pool equipment. We ran into so many denied claims because if you read the homeowner's policy, there's specific exclusions for cause of loss is freezing and it is specifically pool equipment. So there's a, the, the insurance program is written correctly, but there's still not coverage because the insurance carrier that's followed in the state of Texas does not contemplate the possibility of widespread mass freezing to, this, to the, uh, the amount that causes the pool equipment and the heater and the housing that's supposed to stop it from freezing. It freezes anyway. Yeah. So in that kind of a situation, I know it's a very specific example, and I apologize for being so you know, extended with my explanation and context here. Is that a good example of, of a situation where a warranty product would be able to supplement the insurance product to make the insured whole? So we, we cover, essentially our coverage is for wear and tear, um, any wear and tear event. We do not cover external events. And that's why, by the way, the risk profile, so you think about homeowner's insurance, there's high volatility, big storm, a lot of losses. Mm -hmm. One quarter might not look so good for a lot of carriers at the same time. With us, there's no such thing as external events. So we don't cover losses that result from external events. It's, it has to be a wear and tear type event. It's very broad, but it wouldn't cover... You know. Okay, so there you go. And that, that betrays some of my ignorance as well. So warranty in a broad category, if it's an external cause of loss, if it's not wear and tear and internal cause of loss related, warranty is not going to help. Right. Now we do cover... And that's like, not an armadillo problem. That's just warranty yeah, in general. Wide. Now we do cover, and I know a lot of home warranty companies don't, like corrosion and rust. And, you know, some of it is arguable. You know, was, was it something external that caused it? High humidity? So the, the, the reality is, unless it's, if it's a very defined event, like a hurricane, um, some things get, do get covered. But, but for the most part, it's, it's idiosyncratic risk. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. So that entire lengthy story that I just told was for naught because it's not covered at all under warranty. So I just wasted four minutes of everyone's time. <laughs> uh, all that to say, as a side note, um, please read your policies and know where the exclusions are because I have to confess, uh, I was included in the list of people that did not know that uh, pool equipment was not covered uh, when the cause of loss is freezing. Uh, specifically, pool equipment, specifically 
cause of loss freezing. So yeah, read your policy because I can't tell you the number of times that I was in a conversation in February, March with a claims adjuster going, there's no way this is not covered. And they're like, did you read the policy? I'm like, crap. Let me pull out the policy. Where is it? And they literally give me page number on the specimen policy. And it says in plain English, this is excluded. It is not covered. So I know that's outside of the scope of our conversation with time, but great example for the love of God, people read the policy and the products that you sell because you don't want to look like a dummy with your insured. Aside from the fact that it's, you know, the right thing to do, it's a great way to land yourself with an E&O claim. So anyways, sorry, Matan, I didn't mean to waste your valuable time there with uh, that little detour, but nevertheless, here we are. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so going back to Armadillo, going back to warranty, you saw an opportunity in the marketplace and you guys were ready to capitalize on it. You've got some background in warranty. You've got some good connections. What then? What was the, the trigger that made it all start to happen? You know, we... Um they say that in the startup world, 99% of people stop before they get their first fundraise, their first capital that supports that initial build. And um, we were able to line that up pretty easily because of the people, uh, not just me, but Lenston and, um, uh, and the fact that we knew that we were going to have a carrier partner who supports the program. So we were able to raise our first chunk of capital. And, and that was a big, uh, that was a big thing for us because that allowed us to hire some people and, and, and get technology team in place and begin building. So that was, that was the big thing. I was still at AIG and uh, I didn't know I, I was going to do this. And then it was just a leap of faith personally and professionally for me to say, all right, I'm going to leave AIG now and we're going to close this capital raise. And we did that. I left AIG and we spent 30 days, um, going and, and, um, uh, hustling, hustling, yeah, and uh, yeah, and we were asking for money, and we were fortunate, you know. We had uh, we have a few really good investors. It's only a few of them, um, uh, individuals or angels, I guess uh, we can call them. And uh, yep. we didn't need to go to a hundred different people. Um, I uh, we don't have. You any- only need one or two good KPs yeah. to go and recruit the rest of them. That's true. That's totally true. Any entrepreneur out there is going to launch a new business if you get a really great. Um, investor was behind you or even a co-founder has a lot of um, credibility that helps uh, that more than helps that's 99% of the way there for sure now is the the terminology the same as in real estate when you've got a, a syndication typically the the key principal is the one who is you know taking equity uh, in, as part of their you know receipt uh, for their activities and they go out and recruit uh, the the people that are going to come behind you uh, of a, a venture sort of way is that similar to how it, it worked in your experience when you get you know one or two core people that help you with uh, recruiting the rest well you know in our in our case um, uh, it was is only it's only four investors that came came through and um, a couple of them came through me and a couple of them came through a co-founder really so it, it was it wasn't there was no syndicate there was no one person who led the round it was, it was everybody came in we had lawyers draft up uh the operating agreement and all the terms and all that and they had their lawyers review the documents sign them and that was that uh we kept it pretty simple but i know in vc in the vc world you'll probably get a big a lead and they'll take the lead on drafting everything and then um other other vcs will pile up uh, on top of that 
that whole side of things, the, the, the private equity, the venture capital, all of that, most agents listening to this are going to go, yeah, I watch Shark Tank and that's cool. I just don't have any idea how any of that stuff works. Uh, so any insight that we can have, you know, sprinkling in some pixie dust from time to time uh, on some of these outside topics. You know, I've never been involved in a fundraise. Uh, I wouldn't put it, you know, outside the realm of possibility that at some point I'm doing something that needs a fundraise. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. Uh, I won't rule that out. Who knows? You know, I've got 30 years of career left in front of me, more or less. Uh, but what what was that like? You know, the experience of going to these very deep pockets, you know, these power brokers, titans of industry, whatever you want to call them, and, and pitching the idea. Obviously, you had some rapport. You had some existing relationships. So you weren't, you know, walking into the shark tank like they do on the TV show. Uh, but what was that like, standing in front of someone with the you know the ability to fund your mission uh, talk about that for a second yeah you know it, it was a fascinating experience and it was the first time i've done that at that at that level uh, you know i've made when i worked at AIG, i've made a lot of internal cases for funding for projects but that's that's different um, we uh, we built a roadshow deck we we structured it in a way that was pretty simple it was like two weeks we talked to a bunch of people you have to make your decision at the end of two weeks. I, I know some people sort of drag it out. We we just time box it, and that was that was great, by the way. And everybody knew that this this is the process. By the end of it, you're either in or out. We dictated our own terms, and that was that. And we created a competitive environment, and it was uh, um, it was great. I uh, we created this presentation, and I walked through it a billion times beforehand, and then we presented it to some people. <laughs> How many times you uh, practice that uh, bad boy? Yeah, Goodness. I don't know. Just, you know, a good amount of time. Yeah. The, the cool thing is that the idea resonated right away. And we actually, I don't think we got any notes. Anybody we spoke, and again, we basically spoke to four people and they all said, yes, we're in. Yeah. Um, so that was, I don't think that was normal. I think that was a testament to, uh, I, I'm going to give that to Lenston um, mm -hmm. and his experience um and credibility and also to the idea uh, the business idea itself resonated deeply um it was a good experience it was a good experience i think not not normal um because i i have some friends who are uh struggling they're trying to raise money and it's not easy um uh, they're you know hmm. it really it really depends on your circumstance and who you're partnering with and the business idea and who you're talking to your network no, I love that backstory, man. It, it is, you know, everyone who's listening to this is an entrepreneur themselves in some capacity, whether you are, you know, a team member, a producer who is, you know, in a commission based sales position, or you're, you're like myself, an agency principal who at some point in your past started from zero and you went from that point. Uh, everybody listening to you, Matan, can definitely appreciate uh, the, the chutzpah of just standing in front of someone and making your pitch, you know, swinging for the fences, taking your shot, whatever sort of analogy you want to use. That is exhilarating to think about what you went through. And, so, you, and you know, uh, one thing I would say that's probably going to resonate with people here, we were very upfront with investors. We said to them, this could fail. We Straight up, that's the first thing we said. And the other thing we said was, or I said, because because Lenston is not operating, is the is the chairman, uh, and he, he himself is an investor in the business too, which helped a lot, by the way. Um, but I said to them, I'm not going to sleep at night until this works. 
and and like, yeah. you your money i'm going to treat your money like it's mine so we were very upfront with them we didn't tell we didn't promise them the stars that this is going to be a billion dollar company and all of that we said look we think we have a great opportunity here you have a great team uh, of people with experience and we're going to give it our best shot and you can you can you can trust us in that we'll give it our best shot and that you'll have an inside view as into you know everything that's happening um and and you know i've seen people pitch things and it's just sort of like never talk about the negative only about the positive we, we were we were very truthful so i just want to add that in there i think that builds a deep level well, it builds a lot of credibility yeah you know, when you're authentic and you're openly talking about, you know, these are what we see as the potential uh, threats to our success. And here's what we're going to do about it. That's right. Absolutely. No, it's like you're a good risk manager or something, Mr. Actuary. Like you, you have identified the risk uh, and now you are actively working to control the risk and then manage the risk. Man. Well, you know, it's funny. We our we looked when we pitched the idea. We talked about like four or five different distribution channels. We talked about real estate, which works. It's a mature distribution channel for home warranty. And then we talked about a few new ones. One of those being the insurance distribution space. And we explained to investors that this is great because we have these different distribution channels. Some of them might flop. Real estate will likely succeed, but some of the other ones are risky. We don't know what's going to happen. But we have this portfolio from a risk management perspective, portfolio of possibilities. And if one of those new distribution channel hits, it's going to hit big time because we'll be um, sort of a first mover, if not really a first mover, but the, the first one to really crack those distribution channels. And um, that is risk managing because we, uh, we're focusing on one product, but we're trying to get it out there through different, different uh, channels. So we, we've been doing this for about 36, 37 minutes now. We've got maybe 10 minutes of the episode left. I want to kind of, here's the roadmap. We're going to talk about the distribution channel, the affiliate opportunities uh, here for just a couple of minutes. And then we're going to land the plane by talking specifically about the home warranty uh, industry, the product itself, some of the key differentiators. I'm going to share a little bit of my backstory with home warranty because um, I, I do have some experience as... Uh, you know, someone who's selling that product. Uh, spoiler alert, it wasn't a great experience by any means. No. And I don't mind saying that. Um, so talk about the distribution for just a second. You just mentioned that you've got five, uh, plus or minus, who knows. Uh, anybody who's ever bought a, pr uh, a property, an you know, owner-occupied residence, knows that the uh, typically, in most states, maybe every state, I don't know, uh, but certainly in Texas, uh, the home warranty is typically paid for as a concession by the seller during a real estate transaction. So I imagine that is typically the, the very highest volume of where the first year sales come from. Uh, we, we can talk about the problem with retaining those sales here in just a second. But the cool thing from my perspective is the distribution channel is so much broader than in insurance because you don't have to be a licensed professional in you know, holding some credential to be an affiliate and collect a commission for selling a home warranty product. That's, so your, your potential army of referral partners is exponentially larger than in the insurance world. Talk about that for a second. How, how, what kind of opportunity and possibility does that open up for you guys to think about you know, virtually endless distribution avenues? Yeah, you know, it, it does open things up. Outside of Florida, Florida, you have to have a sales uh, license, which is relatively easy to get and then get appointed. And in California, you do have to have to be an insurance agent. But in other states, um, 
Uh, it's pretty simple. The only thing that we have to be careful of is RESPA, uh, yeah. uh, which is regulation in the real estate space. So if the home warranty is sold as part of a real estate transaction, that actually narrows things back down to how we can compensate uh, for the offering. Really, we can't. We can't compensate for a closing service. No home warranty is a closing service. So, so we have to pay for services, real services that those referrals give to us. But outside of that, it opens things up dramatically. And we have, we have a great distribution strategy. Um, uh, and, you know, I, insurance, just insur insurance outside of the real estate space is one of those distribution strategies. Um, it, do it, does, it does open things up in a, in a very interesting way. I'm trying to think, where can I go with it? This, this in itself could be a two-hour discussion going through each. No, I bet, man. I, I threw that at you as, as you know, a curveball with no preparation. So um, <laughs> we, we can always circle back to that in the next conversation. Uh, full disclosure, I haven't used Armadillo yet. I have not officially signed up yet as an affiliate, but you better believe by the time this episode airs, I certainly will be. Uh, and no, this is not an MLM sort of situation where all of you are in my downline now. Uh, although, hey, Matan, if you want to make me at the top of the pyramid and all these insurance agents selling your product are in my downline, then I'll happily collect <laughs> you know, $3 from every referral generated. Uh, we can negotiate that later. Don't worry. No. <laughs> no, but uh, so anyone who is wanting to sell the product, as long as it's outside of a real estate transaction, Correct me if I'm wrong here, but literally anyone listening to this episode can reach out to Armadillo, get familiar with the product, and I'm sure you guys have best practices and sales guides and brochures and whatnot that are already designed and ready to help people sell your product as a part of what they're already doing and collect a commission in, in perpetuity because it's not just new business. Anyone selling this product is collecting that commission at every renewal too, just like an insurance product. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. No, that, that is fantastic. So uh, the product itself is very straightforward, right? It, you have, I'm sure there's some bells and whistles, there's some add-ons, but generally speaking, it is, uh, you know, make your one selection and, you know, pay your monthly fee or, you know, $50 a month or whatever it happens to be paid in full for 500 roughly. Uh, are there any other bolt-ons or bells and whistles that we should be aware of? Because um, we, my, we, my previous insurance, uh, excuse me, home warranty experience, we'll talk about it in just a second, but they basically had one base product and then there was two optional add-ons that was an additional fee. That was really it. It wasn't that much to it. Yeah. Is, is that kind of how you guys are set up? That's exactly right. We have, uh, we have our base standard and premium plan and the, there is an increasing level of coverage as you go towards from base to premium. Um, if you have high net worth clients with uh, Wolf refrigerators or Sub-Zero appliances and just expensive things in the home, premium is probably the, the, the better product for them. If it's more of a mass market play and a lot of standard type coverage, um, homeowners coverage is probably the, the standard plan is more than enough. Uh, and there are add-ons. There are like the pool and spa, which we spoke about before. Um, um, we have a few other interesting add-ons like brand for brand. Typically in a home warranty product uh, uh, or a service contract, if something needs to be replaced, like a refrigerator, home warranty company will replace it, but not necessarily with the same brand, rather with the same, with, with a comparable refrigerator with the same features. So we were, we were initially, we really wanted to embed the brand for brand in the product, but it was too expensive. Our, our price for it, our, our wholesale price for it is too expensive. So we created an add-on that someone can add if they love their 
um, their brands and they wanted to replace their items with the same brand. So we have, we have add-ons like that, whole home uh, generators, um, uh, guest houses for people who have a separate structure with its own kitchen, HVAC, plumbing, electricity. We have all, all sorts of add-ons you can add on. We try to keep it mm. simple. We try to keep it simple. Um, our website, you can go through the purchase path and you can see it's just basically choose a base package and then choose any add-ons you want to add to that base package. And that's that. No, we, there's so much we could do, you know, a little bit more granular with your local network of service providers from across the country and the way that you have built that out. There's several interesting conversations we can have uh, for the second you know, conversation at some point down the line. I, I want sure. to be really clear, if somebody is interested in becoming a paid affiliate uh, of Armadillo, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, one of a few ways. You can go on our website and um, go, if you're an insurance agent, there's a tab for insurance agencies. Just put your information in there. Just a general partner with access to consumers, users. Um, go to our partner tab. Uh, if you're a real estate agent, you can go to a real estate agent tab. Um, and just put in your information and one of us will reach out to you directly. You can always contact me straight up. <laughs> uh, my email is in there in, on, on the bottom of our homepage. Uh, consumers can reach out to me too. We, uh, we, take, it, we take our servicing uh, of consumers very, 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 very seriously. That's all, that's all we stand for really as a company. Uh, and that's the only way we'll win in this market. Um, so when we get feedback, not just from consumers, but also from our partners, uh, that goes straight. I met with our developers every morning. I bring it straight to our developers. We put it into our backlog and we try to get it fixed right then and there <laughs> soon. Um, so you could reach out to me, um, either or is totally fine. Hmm. No, that's fantastic. No, I, I've got my, my onboarding call scheduled for the first week of January and it, it makes so much sense. Uh, for an insurance agent to have a quality home warranty product uh, to sell right alongside the insurance product because the two dovetail so nicely. Uh, you know, to, to pivot to the last thing we're going to talk about in this episode is really just asking you the question of how are you different than the legacy players? Because I don't mind sharing candidly. Uh, you know, that's what people come to expect from uh, Agency Freedom Podcast. I really don't pull any punches. Uh, I will say very clearly, this is not intended to be defamatory, and this is just my opinion. Uh, but back when I was a, a farmer's agent, this has been a few years ago. Uh, I, I didn't sell any home warranties uh, for the last couple of years that I was an agent because just didn't have a good experience with them. Uh, but there was a, a corporate partnership with a company called American Home Shield. And that, that is the only company that I have any firsthand experience with in the home warranty space. My own experience wasn't very good. Uh, there was a lot of, of issues with service calls, with unexpected fees, uh, with people's claims being denied for what you know I considered as the agent on the policy to be an unacceptable reason. And we stopped selling it because that company that we had access to that had a relationship with farmers at the time, it just wasn't a good experience for the agent or for the customer. And I'm not a big fan of a third party making me look bad in ways that I don't have any control over. Uh, so I, after that, it was like a, you know, a little bit of research. And again, this is several years ago of you know, what is going on with the home warranty industry? And come to find out, my experience with that one company uh, was not an aberration at all. It is indicative 
was indicative of the the general operating for home warranty as a category. Um, so when you look at what Armadillo is doing differently, uh, what is maybe one or two specific things that you guys are doing that is functionally different than the way the rest of the industry is operating? No, I'll tell you exactly. And it's a philosophical difference. Um, we've rebuilt the product from first principles. And the reason we're different, when you think about home warranty and where it was born, it was born in the real estate space. Most home warranty contracts are paid for by a different party, not the party buying it. The buyer is inheriting the product. The seller of a home will buy it for the buyer or maybe the agent, the real estate agent will gift it to the buyer of a home. So they, they don't buy it for themselves. And a real estate transaction, even though, you know, unlike insurance agents, you guys have lifelong relationships with your clients, a realtor might never see their client again. So it's like a one and done. It's a check off the box. I got you a home warranty. It makes the house, then the sale a little bit more attractive. You're more confident with you buying the house. Great. Now, see you later. So the home warranty product philosophically was built to be sold by someone else, but to be bought by one person and inherited by another. And the incentive of the company, the, the home warranty provider, to create a really good co coverage, it just goes to, it just, it's non-existent. We've looked at that, it just, that doesn't, it's not a good thing in, in this modern, you know, age that we live in. And we've rebuilt the product saying, we want to sell the product through channels where relationships are important. Where, and you, you mentioned, James, renewals in the real estate space, right? So even though the seller might buy the product, we want the buyer who inherits it to love it so much that they're going to renew it because we want to create people. We actually want Armadillo to become a household brand one day that's like, I just moved to a new home. Of course I need Armadillo. That, that, that is awesome. I trust their service technician, technicians. They smooth my you know expenses. I know that they're going to cover me when there is something. There's not going to be an unexpected illogical surprise at the point of claim. So we've really, we've philosophically, because of our distribution strategy and because of how we, the sort of relationship we want to have with our consumers, we've changed that equation. So if you ask me, how are we different? We are, I think we're a completely different beast. And if any home warranty company is listening to this, they should pay attention to that because that's, you know, that's the wave of the future in my mind for this yeah. line of business. Well, in the renewal numbers are, are you said 28%, is that right? Yeah, I think in the re, uh, in the real estate space, from the real estate transactions, very, very low in the real estate space, specifically when the buyer inherits the product. And you think about it, the yeah. buyer gets the product. If they didn't file any claims during that twelve month period, they didn't get any value out of it, and then they're asked to renew it. They're probably not going to pay for something they never paid for to begin with. If they had a claim yeah. and it was a bad experience, which a lot of them have a bad experience, they're not going to renew it. So it's only a small percentage that have you know are really saying, "Hey, let me yeah." I'll, I'll renew it. Yeah, it's very well, low. Look, looking at it from the perspective of the consumer, and you know, I live in North Texas, where you know there's an abundance of weather-related challenges. Uh, just the the natural environment in North Texas is incredibly uh, difficult and unfriendly to um, building materials of all kinds, including uh, utilities and and household things like an HVAC or pool equipment or whatever. So. I'm just doing some basic math here. The average lifespan of an HVAC unit in North Texas is probably 10 to 12 years, maybe a little bit less. So if I'm paying for a home warranty every year for 12 years, let's say, let's even push it out to 15 years. 
and my system fails after 14 years of paying for that home warranty, well, that home warranty is, let's say it's, what, $7,000 over the course of 12 years, give or take. That HVAC system is probably 20 to replace. So the math very quickly works out in the insured's or the, the policyholder's favor. So it, it's not hard at all to see why the, the value offering is so compelling if it is presented to uh, the customer correctly. You know, I imagine that you guys have put a lot of thought and energy into building that sales kit to teach these people that are going to be pitching your product, hey, this is what you should tell people. That's right. You know, education upfront is really important. Um, it's also important that consumers know that our, the entire, and we'll talk about this in another session, that our entire claims process, um, service request process is geared towards sort of led by what they prefer. So if someone calls us on a Friday night and it's really hard for our call center to play someone at that point in time, and it's something that's an emergency, some consumers would like the option of, of us telling them, hey, you can use your own service pro and you can get them into our house first thing tomorrow morning, we'll cover it. Some, some may look at that as, you know, what are you doing? You're leaving that up to the consumer. But actually some consumers in that instance would say, that is a great value. We'll take that. We'll call someone. We actually yeah. know someone or our neighbor recommended someone like a great plumber. We, want, we, we just want to use them. In other cases, a consumer might say, no, you just take care of that for us. Can you force book it? And yes, we can, of course. Um, so, it, um, you know, it's, it all comes down to how we deliver that experience. Even if we have the right coverage and it's broader, that's only part of the equation. Man, I love everything I'm hearing here. You know, we are at a good stopping point now, almost an hour. Matan, is there anything that we missed that you want to bring up in this episode? You know, we, um, we are built um, uh, for the insurance channel more so than any other channel out there because of my background and experience. Um, we're, I would say, the only home warranty company that can truly say it's rebuilt the product from first principles and uh, that's come from this industry. So we really, we hope that bears um, at least a little bit on the credibility that we're bringing to this market. Even though we're a young company, uh, we're trying to create a product and an experience that, that is a li lifelong experience for your clients. And uh, we think that would resonate. So I, I just leave that with everybody and uh, please reach out to us. You'll very likely talk to me directly. Uh, we're still a small company and we'll do what it takes to, uh, to deliver for you. Fantastic. I can't think of any better way uh, to to wrap things up here for this episode. And I'm, I'm doing some simple math here and, and looking to see. And uh, this is almost certainly dropping the second week of January. So if you're listening to this in the middle of January, it is a great time to be thinking about how you're going to add uh, Armadillo to your uh, product portfolio, so to speak, so that when it comes time to have those you know, get ready for storm season, get ready for the spring, for warmth to return again. Uh, that is probably a great time uh, to be talking to your insured, your policyholder about a home warranty product. You're probably going to have uh, receptive ears at that point. So makes a lot of sense, in my opinion, uh, for you to already have Armadillo in your arsenal because I certainly will. And you can bet after a few weeks have passed, a lot of your peers uh, will have Armadillo in their offices as well. So 
Uh, Matant, thank you for your time. This was insightful to say the least. Uh, as I proved earlier with my complete ignorance on the basics of how certain parts of home warranty uh, works, uh, this is functionally different than insurance uh, and is something that every agent listening to this probably should be participating in. James, I really appreciate you having me on uh, Agency Freedom. This was uh, fantastic. Yeah, and you know, just as a little bit of bragging, because I, as the new guy in town, my podcast hasn't been around nearly as long as several of my peers, and you know who you are, peers, if you're listening, I found him first. He was on my show first. So <laughs> for all of you that have him after, I had him as a guest. So ha, joke's on you. No, there you go. That's as far as I'll go because I'm used to having the guests, you know, their second or third or fourth podcast interview in the insurance world, but not this time. Matan uh, Slachter, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the Agency Freedom Podcast, and hopefully uh, we can send a lot of business your way. We'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Take care. Take care, James. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite podcasting platform to get automatic updates on every new episode and help other people find us organically. If you like the content you hear, please drop us a quick review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share agency freedom with someone you know who is still on the captive side of the insurance world. They'll thank you later. You can connect with other Freedom Jumpers, ask questions, get advice, and share your best practices in our Facebook group. Just type Agency Freedom Podcast in the search bar. Visit our website at agencyfreedompodcast.com to sign up for our email list and get access to exclusive resources and sign up to be a potential future guest on the show. We welcome your comments, feedback, and ideas. Email podcast at riskwell.com and we'll look forward to hearing from you. Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help our listeners go from captive to indie to market domination. Until next time, let's go. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you've got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. 
That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you, and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland, and we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.